0: Alright, are you guys ready? Tonight, I know this is going to be so exciting for some of you, you're just going to be so ready for this. Are you ready? We're going to, we're going to look for two weeks out of the riveting passage, or just, just hang on here, of Leviticus chapter 23. Now you think I'm joking, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Leviticus Chapter 23, you're going, oh no, quick, get me some caffeine, because this is going to be a long... Here's what I want to do tonight. We're going to take two weeks, because we are coming into... I know some of you are going, will it be too awkward or offensive if I leave now? Trust me, hang with me, this is going to be good. But we are two weeks away from the national holiday where we eat lots of turkey, or if you don't like turkey, ham, and other good stuff. What holiday is it that we will celebrate in two weeks? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Before we get into the text tonight, I want to just sort of say, these two weeks, this is all because of Thanksgiving. That's the reason why we're going to be in this tonight. But here's a quick question. Two weeks away from now, we will be celebrating Thanksgiving. And two weeks minus one day, meaning two weeks from yesterday, the Tuesday night before Thanksgiving, we're going to meet in our gathering, in our church, in the gym, and we're going to have our chili pie supper. How many of you have been here for a chili pie supper before? How many of you placed memberships so you could come to a chili pie supper <laughs> So we're going to be doing that in two weeks, and as we eat good food and we talk about life and enjoyment, I thought it would be fun for us to pause and consider some of the celebrations in Israel's history, because I believe, although they are ancient, they have a very present meaning for us today. Now, when I think about Thanksgiving, I often, and like most of us, I think more about the food than I do the actual day. Because Thanksgiving is... As I'm getting older, I think Thanksgiving is getting close to edging out my love of Christmas because you don't have presents to deal with. You don't have as many responsibilities. You get to get with people and eat. And if you're smart, you wear your stretchy pants so you don't even have to go through the trouble of unbuttoning the top button of your pants after you eat. It is an easy day. It is a fun day. And so I was thinking about this. I just want to ask you, and this is interactive, then we'll get into the text. Uh, Share with me one of your either favorite pieces of the Thanksgiving meal, an item, or maybe it's a family recipe or an item that your mom makes. doesn't have to be your favorite, but something that's special to you with Thanksgiving. So what is your favorite piece or something that's special about the meal to you? What do you got? All of it. I think you said that last year as well. Yeah, all of it. I'm with you, by the way. Every bit of it. Yeah. Mom's chicken and dumplings. Oh, good point right there. Chicken and dumplings. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what else, Steve? Butter and sour cream mashed potatoes. Butter and sour cream mashed potatoes. Mmm. What what else we got here? Picante. You both said it at the same time. This is awesome. I like that. All right. What else? What's a favorite? Dressing with giblet. Okay, you, with cornbread, a cornbread with giblet. Okay, I got to say this Steve. I don't even know how it came up at breakfast yesterday morning, I think it was. We talked for the first time. I said the word giblet, and Stephen goes, what's that? <laughs> and so my wife, who's gagging back, she goes, well, it's the innards of an animal, son, and people make food out of it. He goes why and i said your grandmother loves it and so yeah giblet gravy i like that that's good what else chocolate cream pie. What, what's that chocolate cream, pie. chocolate cream pie oh mama's recipes are always the best aren't they oh yeah i heard something over here 24 hours, 24 hours. what is that Oh, so it's like a fruit salad with. Oh yeah, yeah, good, good. I like that. Oh, mm. anyone else getting a little bit hungry as we talk? How many of you have not had dinner yet? Oh yeah. One of James Ames put a recipe in a Hickson Church of Christ menu book. Okay. Recipe book, and it was for. A rum cake. Oh, rum. Now, I know some people who'd skip the cake, it, after but... Each, after each ingredient was put into the cake, she put a spoonful of rum in it so that at the, by the time she got it ready to cook, uh-huh, she also took a drink of it, <laughs> and as it, got, uh. as, as it was ready to cook, all you could smell was apple. Was the best cake in the world. It was the best cake in the world. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're going to end on that one right there because I don't know which direction this is going to go now. But no, absolutely. Now here's the thing. As Americans, I think we do a fair job when it comes to celebrations and festivals. Certainly Christmas is coming. I love Christmas. We are so excited about it. Uh, Thanksgiving, Easter, Valentine's Day. uh, You know, I I don't know what you feel about Halloween. For us, it's just a bunch of candy day. You know, but there are different holidays and moments where we pause and we enjoy. But I think one of the challenges is over time, we hold on to the celebrations, but forget the meaning or the why behind the celebration, so for instance, Thanksgiving, it's about the food, the family. It's about maybe the football game afterward. Uh, it's about, it used to be the next day was called Black what? Friday. is about buying stuff. Now it's like Black Thursday. They do it all day now, right? And it's not that those things are bad. Please don't get that—get me wrong. But there are, the reason for the holiday was none of those things. Is to give thanks to God for his providence and provision. Uh, Christmas, it is about the coming Messiah, Advent, from the Latin word Adventus, meaning arrival or coming. It was to position our minds for the moment when the Christ child, who had been promised for centuries, would finally come into our midst... And again, I love Santa, I love the reindeer, I love the music, I love the food, I love the presents. It's all great, but those are not the point. We forget sometimes. Here's what I want you to see is God, as much as we love partying, I believe God loves to party more than we do. Some of you are going, wait a minute. I'll just give you one one reference. You remember when Jesus talking about those who are coming to faith, he talks about the prodigal son and he says this. He says that there is more rejoicing rather the one versus the 99 sheep. There is more rejoicing in heaven over the one who is saved than the 99 who never were lost. The better translation is basically there is a shindig going on in heaven when someone comes to faith. God loves to party. Uh, Let me give you another thing. In the book of Leviticus, where we're going to go tonight, God sets up festivals for his people. Now here's what I want us to do. I want us to walk through Leviticus 23, let let me say something to you real quick here. The scriptures say that we as Gentiles have been grafted into the family tree of God. Okay, who is the original people of God? Israelites. Israelites, correct? If you were adopted into a family, would you not learn the traditions of your new family? Would you not learn the history of your adopted family? As Christ followers, while the Old Testament does not necessarily uh, hold some of the same control that it did certainly for the Hebrew people, we have been grafted in, and our story does not begin with Jesus, it begins with Genesis, should we therefore not know our family history. So we're going to look at some of the parties of our church History all the way back to the beginning from Leviticus 23. We're not going to read all this because there's too much and time is too short. But what I want to do is I want to walk you through this. Now, there are seven festivals plus Sabbath. Leviticus lists them all out in chapter 23. Let me just kind of give you the breakdown, then we'll walk through them. So Leviticus 23, it begins this way, uh, this way verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, so, so let me just back up. Moses is with the Israelites They have just left Egypt. They are now at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is where God gives them the Ten Commandments on the stone, where the laws are presented, where the requirements. And so the first five books of the Bible deal with sort of that, uh, or this is where a lot of that was recorded, we believe. Leviticus is about the laws or the requirements of the Levites, the priests. And these are some of the things that are required in what Moses shared. So the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed, what's the next word in your Bible? Feast, Feast, festivals, same idea. These are my appointed feasts or my appointed festivals. The appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. And he begins with Sabbath, verse Three, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. Rest, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work. whatever Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. So the first one is Sabbath. We'll come back to that. Then he starts to lay out the seven different festivals. The first two may be grouped in your Bibles together as they are mine. But the very first festival is the festival of Passover. Now, how many of you... We've talked about this before, but how many of you are familiar with Passover or you've heard of Passover before? It's the night before the Israelites are liberated from Egyptian bondage. They are slaves, but God is about to liberate them. He says, I'm about to send, send the 10th plague. Remember, God sent uh, 10 plagues to get them free from Egypt, to soften the heart of Pharaoh. And the 10th plague is the death of the firstborn son, In Egypt and in Israel. But anyone who puts blood of a blemishless or perfect lamb over their doorpost, the death of God, what is being sent throughout, their firstborn will not die. And so the very first one, if you were to write down sort of a verse, that, or rather a one-word description of what Passover is about, is ultimately about, and I'm going to put this up here, salvation. Passover is about being saved from death. And he says, every year you celebrate this meal because I want you to never forget the salvation that I have given to you. Now, immediately following that, in verse 6, And by the way, I want you to notice a couple things. Verse four, talking about Passover, it says, these are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. By the way, appointed feasts and appointed times are the same Hebrew word, same as within verse two. It's simply the word moedim. For the nerds in there, there you go. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the what day? Fourteenth Fourteenth day. Now pay attention because this is important. The fourteenth day of this month is when Passover is. Passover is a one-day feast. Now, skip down to verse 6. On the 15th day, so how many days after Passover? One day. So, after Passover, the next day of the month, the Lord's feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. And he says this, for seven days, you must eat bread made without what? Yeast. Now, let's talk for a moment. This was highly symbolic. Passover, since we're more familiar, I'm not going to break it down, but this one, we need to kind of understand it. In Scripture, yeast is used symbolically for sin and for evil. So, for instance, Jesus, warning his disciples of the Pharisees' hypocrisy, says, You watch out for the yeast. Of the Pharisees. A small bit can work its way throughout the dough and it makes you puffed up. By the way, yeast, it puffs up bread. It makes it look bigger than it really is. But most of it's just empty air, right? And so you have a seven day feast. You see that I have liberated you. I want you now to take seven days eating only unleavened bread, no yeast in the bread that you eat because yeast represents sin and evil. I have saved you. Now I want you to live lives without sin. Another word for that is I want you to live holy lives. So this is about holiness, salvation, holiness, And then after the seven days, we're told in verse nine, notice this now, we come to the third feast or celebration. You say, what does this have to do with anything? Hang with me at the end. I think this is going to pull together. Verse nine, we're told, the Lord then said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I am going to give you and you reap its harvest. Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. Now, by the way, Verse 11 says that you're to do this on the day after the Sabbath. This is actually the Sabbath after the week of unleavened bread. So you have Passover and then the next day begins a week of unleavened bread. And then the Sabbath after this, you have the first fruits where you give to God the first produce of your Harvest. Now, this is the springtime. There are two harvest times in the Middle East the spring and the fall. The spring is the smaller of the two. There's not as much, but there is some to harvest. As many of you, Flory is a phenomenal gardener, and she was explaining there's some things you can get in the spring and others in the summer, other in the fall, and there's different times of harvesting. But first fruits is about people. Taking the very first, and instead of saying this is what's left over after I've already eaten my fill, God, is to say, God, before I have any, before I even have a promise of a great harvest, I'm giving to you my first fruits as a statement of thanksgiving in anticipation that you will provide for me all that I need. This, by the way, church, is why Christians give and tithe, tithe means a tenth, but give first before they give to anything else. And so if you are not a practicing giver, I would encourage you to start doing that because it's a statement of trust to God that I can trust you. Even when I don't yet have it, I believe that you are the provider. And so the third one here, first fruits, the word that you might want to put there because it's all about what you anticipate and that something is going to grow from the ground, from this fallow ground, from this empty space. Life is coming. And so the words you might want to put there would be something like maybe uh, new life. We're going to come back. I want to go back through this in a second. Now, during the summer months, we get to the fourth festival. This one is called the Festival of Weeks. The reason it's called the Festival of Weeks is because, verse 15, from the day after the Sabbath, talking about first fruit Sabbath, from the day after that Sabbath, he says this, count off seven full weeks count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. And so it's called the festival of weeks because well, you count off seven weeks. It's about a time period. That's how you know when to do it. Now, after that, we're gonna come back to these. After that, we come into the Fall. Fall time has three different festivals. You have the Festival of Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. The Festival of Trumpets was a one-day feast sometime in September or October, depending on when it fell. By the way, side note, you say, why are the dates not more precise? Uh, We used what is called the Gregorian calendar, correct? January, February, March, April, 365 days except for leap years. Now, they used... And their reckoning was based on the lunar cycle when the moon cycled through. And so what you'll see is spring, these fall sometime between March and April. Summer one, May and June. Fall, September and October are when these fall, but they move because of the different times of year. Does this make sense why those are not concrete? Okay, now in the fall, you have these three. The first one, trumpets, it's a one-day celebration. It's a, fa- it's a uh, Sabbath day. No work, just celebration. And do you know how they celebrated things? By the way, just to, how do you think they celebrated this particular day? What, what was that? With trumpets. It's kind of on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> It'd be like, you know, celebrating the, the day of presents. And what do you do? You give presents. I mean, that's the same idea here. So the day of trumpets. And what they would do is they would just blow trumpets. From the temple, tabernacle, wherever it is, they blew the trumpets and it was a celebration. Now here's why. Uh, Trumpets were a big deal to God. You kind of get the sense of this all the way back in Genesis. Do you remember the story of Abraham and his son Isaac? What does God ask Abraham to do with his son Isaac? Sacrifice him. Abraham is obedient, takes his son up onto the mountain. He has his son on the altar about to kill him. And I know this is barbaric to us, but it is what is the most important thing to you, Abraham? It's the one thing you could not get without God's help, and that was a child. I want you to give me what you think you can't live without. And Abraham says, okay, God, I want you more than the thing that I want the most in life. And God says, hey, I ain't gonna take it. Now, here's what's interesting. Sacrifice was still needing to be made. Do you remember how the story ends? He takes Isaac off the altar after God says, okay, nope, don't do it. And what does he see stuck in a thicket? A ram. What do rams have on their heads? What do the Hebrew people use for their trumpets? A ram's horn. The shofar was a ram's horn. My mom, I was telling her about the lesson tonight. I call my mama at least once a week. And so I was telling her about this, and she goes, Oh. If you lived in Nashville still, no pressure. Anyway, she said that. And she goes, she goes, you could have brought my shofar and shown it. I said, yes, mom, I know. Anyway, so she, she has a, a shofar. So you have from this point, God uses trumpets. Now, in fact, the trumpets were used throughout Israel's history to celebrate things. Uh, Joshua, the battle of Jericho, they were to blow the trumpets on the seventh day. And victory was had, correct? The walls fell. By the way, the word I would give to you for trumpets is simply that. It's the word victory. It's symbolic of what was lost, what was going to be defeated, what we were not going to gain. Now, by the power of God, the son is not slain. The town is defeated. And in fact, in Israel's history, throughout the time, the priest, at the end of the day or when it was time for worship at temple, would blow the shofar, and the day workers would quit their day's work and go to temple for worship. It was a time of celebration. The second, the second one in the fall, and by the way, let's just look real fast here. This is verse 23 through 25, because I want you to get just a quick sense of this. It says, the Lord said to Moses, verse 23, say to the Israelites on the what day? Of the what month? Seventh month, so this is going to be the fall time. On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest. Now, verse 26, the second festival in the fall is the day of atonement. It says, the Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. So this happens nine days later, correct? Okay, so you have the trumpets, And then less than 10 days later, you have the Day of Atonement. This was the day every year where the high priest would go into the holiest of holies and he would offer blood sacrifice and it was a reunion of God's people because their sin had separated them from God and he offers sacrifice on their behalf for uniting. In fact, the way you can tell what this day is for, this is what I was taught in school, is you just kind of divide it in this. It's the Day of Atonement one You are becoming at one with God. It's a reunion day. Does that make sense? And so the word you might think about, if this is victory, this is reunion. Now let's kind of move on to the very last one here. Verse 33, it says, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, so what month are we in still? Okay, seventh month. Keep track of this because it's this important. And what day of this month? 15th. Okay, so in the fall, it's the first, first, the 10th, and the 15th of the same month. These are happening all right together. These don't happen over great spans of months. These are right there. On the 15th day of the seventh month, we're going to have a little show and tell. And for one week... God says to them, I want you to play camp out. Are you you ready to play camp out? It's called the Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of, uh, does anyone else have a different title in there? Booths, because they were to, in their front yard, years later, leave their homes and in their front yard, set up a booth or a tent or a dwelling place and for one week they would camp out. Now the kids must have loved that. Mom and daddy, maybe not as much. And the reason they were to do this is because although they're in the wilderness now, years later, God did not want them to forget that while they were in the wilderness, they had a dwelling with God, that he was with them in the wilderness, that they tabernacled or lived together. He was the one who led them through the wilderness by fire at night and cloud by day. And so you have victory, you have reunion, and the final one here you have is the word I would just simply put, you have a home. No matter where you are, whether it's a temporary place physically, you can be with God. So these were the major festivals. You say, what does this have to do with anything? Let's just talk for a moment here. Let me do this. Go with me quickly to the New Testament book of Luke. Chapter 24, and I want you to see one quick little verse here because it's very important to us as Christians. Luke chapter 24 Jesus has been raised from the dead and he is beginning to appear to various people. And in verse 13 and following, he appears to a couple of friends on their way from the city of Jerusalem to their hometown of Emmaus. He appears, but they don't recognize who he is at first but he begins to reveal himself. And after he has begun to talk with them, he says something, and it's Luke 24, verse 25 through 27. This is so important. When you read your Bibles, this is why all of scripture is important. Number 20, verse 25, it says, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So they, they basically say, we thought this guy, Jesus was Messiah, but then he died. And Jesus is going, guys, didn't you read the Old Testament prophets? Didn't you pay attention to everything they said was going to happen? And he says this now, did not the Christ, talking about himself, did not the Christ have to suffer these things, be crucified, and then enter his glory being ascended? And verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in, notice this, all the scriptures. What part of the scriptures talk about Jesus? Is it just the New Testament gospels? Is it just the New Testament epistles? It's all scripture. By the way, when Jesus said these words to these men on the road to Emmaus, was the New Testament written at this point? When he says all scriptures, he's saying, guys, from Genesis to Malachi, it has always been about Jesus. If we would but look, we can see him in the pages of our Old Testament. So let's go back and look at these one more time. Passover, salvation, we know this one. Who brought us salvation, church? Jesus, in fact, he died on Passover because Jesus was the spotless, without blemish lamb that if but his blood covers over the door of our life, we can be saved from the death that is due us because of our sin, correct? In fact, in John chapter one and verse 29, John, the, uh, the, the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says, behold or look, the lamb of God who takes away the what? Sin of the who? The world. Jesus is the lamb of God, the Passover lamb, the one who brings salvation to win God in that desert and at the foot of the mountain said i want you to celebrate passover he was saying oh this is going to lead to my son jesus it's all about him is that the only thing that's about jesus well no actually unleavened bread church every sunday we gather and during our gatherings what do we do what do we eat unleavened bread we do that during the lord's supper communion now the communion was part of the Passover meal originally. But Jesus, on the night before he died, he changed its meaning. We've talked about this recently, but do you remember he said, taking the bread, he said, take and eat this bread. This bread is my body. The unleavened bread represents who? Jesus. Interestingly enough, leaven again represented sin and evil. Who is the one Who is without sin or evil or blemish of any kind? Jesus. I want you to celebrate your salvation, and the very next day, I want you to remember that your sin must be taken away from you. Church, what happened after Jesus died? Where did his body go? Into the grave. What did he take into the grave with him, church? Our sin. It's gone. The unleavened bread of God, Jesus Christ himself, took our sin. Paul says, God made him who had no sin become our sin. So that you and I, that we might be the righteousness of God. Meaning God took the leaven, the yeast of our sinful lives off of us and drug it with him into the grave he puts to death and so salvation holiness you and i get to be holy because he who had no sin makes us righteous interestingly enough this doesn't happen weeks and weeks later immediately after passover you have this because it's immediately after jesus's death that he is then placed in the tomb correct A few days later, Jesus is brought back from the dead by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And we're told that not only did our God, our Savior, Jesus Messiah, save us and he's holy, but Paul says something very curious. Go with me now quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 15. These are the words of Paul. And if anything I'm saying tonight, you go, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, I can give you resources and you could probably even find information online about this because I want you to understand this is not me making up something. I want you to see how the entirety of the Gospels and Scripture all point to Jesus. So look at what it says here in Second Corinthians. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, First Corinthians is what that should say. I beg your pardon. There isn't a Second Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. Look at what it says here. In verse 20 through 23, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The, what's the next word in your testaments? The what? Jesus is the first fruits of those have, who, who have fallen asleep. That is a euphemism for death. He is the first one to come out of the grave, just like the very first fruit from the stalk or the vine or the bush. That, you know that moment when you've maybe planted and, and you see the very first blueberry on the on the vine or, or maybe the first cucumber that comes out. And although you don't see all the ones to come, you say, ah, one has come, the others are not far behind. Paul is saying that Jesus is that first one And because he is the first fruit, those of us who are in Christ will be raised to life. He was our salvation. He is holy, taking our sin into the tomb. And then on Easter Sunday, what did he do, church? He came back. New life. The first fruit of creation shows up. The celebration of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruit is pointing to whom? jesus now all of these were already and this is very important fulfilled right in jesus he fulfilled those life death burial resurrection ascension these are about him now let's come over to the fall time the problem is if you and i are good little jewish boys and girls let me do this first what might these represent now do you remember in the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one and 53, later in this chapter, it says these very encouraging words. Look with me now, he says. Listen, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, I mean, not all of us will die before Christ's return. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last, what? Wait, what was that? I suspect it will be more riveting than charge when he shows up. He will come with sounds of what? Trumpets. By the way, the Israelites were to rest to Sabbath on the day of the trumpet. Sabbath, we'll just do this. Sabbath was a way of receiving the promise that God provides for all that we need. By the way, when you sleep, you cannot do any work when you are sleeping, correct? Now, some of you are active sleepers. i got a daughter. She's an active sleeper. I mean, she's just doing all sorts of stuff in her sleep. She's got the Jimmy Leg and all. But you're not producing anything, are you? There's one day a week that the Israelites were said, stop and rest because you need to know that your victory does not come from what you've done or your work. It comes from the one who is coming with trumpet sound. Do you follow? Do you see what's happening? Now let's continue. And then the day of atonement, the day of reunion, the day when all that is broken. Now we know that on the cross, Christ did pay the price. And he did give reunion. Now we are the family members of God, but we are not yet face to face with God, are we? And then tabernacle. Tabernacle is a fun word. It, it just talks about a home, a dwelling place. Jesus in John chapter one and verse fourteen, if you want to put this down, we're told that Jesus came and he tabernacled. Some of your translations will say, He came and he made his dwelling among us. He made home with us. And then in John chapter 14, the night before Jesus dies and his followers are so anxious and worried or he knows they will be, he says, I will, I am going to prepare a place for you. What's he doing church right now? Oh, oh, they tell me of a home He's making it for us, right? He is setting up house. Now, if you are a Jewish person and you are inundated every year, you've celebrated salvation with Passover, the bread of holiness, the first fruits of new life, the trumpet, the atonement, the tabernacle, every year, for as long as you have been alive, you know them by heart. And now Jesus has said, all of that points to me. You're now, the timing is not first fruits. We're past first fruits. Christ has already been raised, chronologically, the year that Christ was raised, somewhere between 30 and 33 AD. And so now he has ascended to heaven. You're going, holy cow. The first three have already been fulfilled. It was about Jesus. Hey, guess what is left? He's coming back. Yeah. And you can almost imagine that some might be going, okay, uh, maybe, maybe this fall, will it be on the day of the trumpet, the feast of trumpet, will that be when he shows up? Or will it be nine days later, the day of atonement when the high priest, by the way, the Hebrew writer tells us, that Jesus is our great high priest who goes into the most holy place on our behalf? Will it be on the day of at one when Christ returns and we are truly at one with him? Or maybe it'll be on the 15th when, when we get to tabernacle with him. And it won't be for seven days, it'll be for an eternity. Can you imagine, by the way, we know that some of the early followers thought his return was imminent. Some had quit work because they thought, well, he's coming back. Why should I work? Read the book or the letter to the Thessalonians. But Jesus doesn't show up. So you kind of scratch your head. You go, well, okay, wait, wait, wait. Maybe maybe it's going to be next year. So the next year comes. Is this going to be, is this going to be, you can almost see them. They're doing a countdown. Three, two, one nothing all right the next year and he's just not showing up you see here's what i want you to see christ fulfilled these life death burial resurrection but he will fulfill these at his return so the question is between this and this where are we can we talk about the fourth for just a few minutes I've got four minutes, and then we're going to call it a night. By the way, the big so what, what does this mean for us? We're going to deal with that next week, but let me give you just a quick thing for this. The fourth one is the festival of weeks. You are to count off starting the day after first fruits, after resurrection, seven weeks, seven weeks And one Sabbath, okay, math majors, what is seven weeks equal? Seven times seven, what is that number? Plus one Sabbath, what is that number? All right. Another word for 50 is penta. How many of you are familiar with this word? Pentecost. I want you to celebrate 50 days from this moment, 50 days. I want you to remember this festival, this time of commemoration. And you're going to bring a sacrifice, and this is going to be some of the specifics, but don't miss the point. I want you to know that this day is going to have significance greater than any of us if we lived back in that wilderness moment would have known because in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost while the believers were all together praying, they heard a sound like rushing wind and tongues of fire fell on their heads. And they began to speak in tongues, enabled by the Spirit. And because of the uproar, the people in Jerusalem came and said, What is going on? And Peter begins by saying, What the Old Testament prophet Joel promised is now at hand. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And they ask, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Family, we're already past this. We are waiting for his return, amen? We are living in the summertime. We are living in what is known as simply the church age. And it is marked by two things. The Holy Spirit and what we're going to talk about next week. Here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to take a moment this week, look over chapter 23. After you've read through chapter 23, reread the, this section right here, verse 25 or 15 through 22, because in this section, God tells Moses, who communicates to a group of people who've just been liberated, he's about to give to them And all who would follow grafted into the family of Israel. He's about to give us all how to live in this time. And so we're going to look at that next week. But what I want you to be left with tonight is that it's all about Jesus. And that's why as we celebrate in two weeks Thanksgiving, give thanks to God. Don't just eat the meal. As we celebrate Christmas, celebrate Jesus. Don't just give gifts, because it's all about Jesus. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in these pages that I must confess for too long I've ignored because they just seem weird, archaic, certainly irrelevant to my life. And yet as I look with eyes because of what Jesus said in Luke 22, that all of this points to him. There's something there. God, I thank you that you show us yourself and that we see the layers of beauty, of intricacy. We see how you have been weaving this tapestry together for millennia. And God, while it's not essential to know this for salvation, surely it it just deepens our relationship with you as we know more about it, you. Father, I thank you that in two weeks we get to celebrate Thanksgiving because as, as a family, there's so much to be thankful for. But as we live in the days waiting for your return, I pray next week as we look at this passage one last time, we would see freshly how we live and walk for you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.